And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal, the full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. Good morning, man. A lot of stuff has happened overnight as we just get ready for the second best day of the week. And uh, Michael Leibowitz is joining us this morning. That's not the reason it's the second best day of the week. That's just the side effect. It's, it's actually because it's Thursday. Tomorrow's Friday, getting ready to wrap up the week. But nonetheless, uh, we're going to be talking about a lot of stuff, uh, what's happening. Credit Suisse, of course, uh, their CDS spreads. There's, these are their credit default swaps. Those are spiking. Again, the United Nations reaching out and, and asking uh, central bankers everywhere to stop hiking rates, please. You're breaking stuff. Um, but overnight, uh, or I shouldn't say overnight, yesterday, OPEC uh, actually decided to cut, and they were expected to only cut oil production by 1 million barrels a day. They did 2 million barrels a day. And uh, so this is gonna you know, drive oil prices higher overnight. This is the part that happened overnight. Overnight, Gas went up six cents a gallon uh, here in Houston, and uh, three cents up uh, nationwide. So you know, oil, gas prices back on the rise as oil prices are, are slowly ticking back up here. Uh, we had talked about just last week. We said oil prices were very oversold, and we would likely get this rally in oil prices back towards you know eighty ninety dollars a barrel, and we're slowly working back up in that direction. We're at eighty two eighty seven dollars. Sorry, yeah, eighty seven dollars as of yesterday. Uh, right at the 50-day moving average, if we can move above that uh, here in the next day or so, we're going to have a nice shot at about $90, $91 a barrel. So, um, again, oil prices back on the rise. Oil stocks did very well yesterday. And to compound matters, right, <laughs> uh, the Biden administration came out and said they're going to keep drawing uh, supply out of the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, doing everything they can, trying to keep oil prices down. Um, this is really bad policy because we are already short oil, right? We're, and, and because of all the regulation and, red, and restrictions put on the oil and gas industry by the current administration, restriction of drilling leases, et cetera, we've already cut down the amount of supply that we can produce in the U.S. Now it's being cut by OPEC. And at some point, this is all fine, right? All, that's all fine and dandy, but at some point, you've got to refill the strategic petroleum reserves the SPRs, and that's going to require more oil extraction out of the production we have to refill those reserves. So that's just that's just stuff getting put away for later, but it's got to have to be done at some point. And, and the question is, 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 you know, he had said he was going to refill it at $80 a barrel. He didn't do it. Um, now we're going to be at $90 a barrel, and at some point you're going to be forced to refill those reserves at potentially much higher prices because that refilling of those reserves is going to drive oil prices higher. So there is a perfect storm that is now brewing for higher oil prices, particularly as we move into the winter months. So you've got uh, heating for homes, you're going to have more demand, travel for winter, those type of things. So you're going to have more demand coming up and we have a restriction in supply. So that is the, the perfect cocktail for higher prices. Now, the one saving grace here may be a weaker dollar. And, and the one thing that we've talked about here recently is the dollar strength has been exceptionally strong. And we've seen that come off here just recently. And the question is, that dollar is also impacting what's happening in international markets, right? Because as our dollar goes up, that makes things more expensive for consumers to buy overseas. 
And uh, just, uh, just recently, I think yesterday, the Atlanta Fed just came out with their GDP, what they call their GDP now. It's their real-time uh, economic tracking indicator for the economy. And so they came out with that yesterday, updated it. Quarter three GDP growth is estimated to be 2.7% on an annualized basis. So if you don't know what that means in, in real terms, take 2.7 divided by four. That's what the expected growth rate for the third quarter of this year is going to be. So that's a, that's a pretty strong number, 2.7%. That's a pretty strong number given the two negative quarters that we've had previously. So you take the one and a half negative GDP um, in the first quarter, the 0.6 in the second quarter, add in the 2.7 divided by three, that's where you are. We're not quite getting there just yet. But, you know, again, this is, that number is going to kind of quell, at least temporarily, this idea that we had a recession in the first two quarters of this year. But here's the more important issue about this. A big chunk of that growth in GDP is coming from consumer spending, which is weakening, right? But, it's the, but consumers are still out there spending. And we said that with the back-to-school shopping, those type of things, we'd likely see a pickup in the third quarter. So we did see a pickup in activity and spending in third quarter, but a big chunk, a big contributor to that pickup in GDP was a shrinkage of the trade deficit due to slower consumer spending overseas. So in other words, that rising dollar is shrinking the demand from overseas. That's narrowing the trade deficit. That's a benefit. Net imports or net exports is a benefit, a positive input into the GDP calculation. But where it comes home to roost is that means lower corporate profits from companies that have international sales. About 40% of corporate revenues are from international sales. So that stronger dollar impedes that. So um, when you have, so that strong dollar weighing on those countries, and, and as Mike and I have talked about before, um, not gonna, it's not going to be surprising to see countries starting to intervene here, trying to bring that dollar down some. Well, a weaker dollar, okay, is also since oil is traded, see back to oil, um, because oil is traded in dollars everywhere in the world, that weaker dollar is going to allow more ability to buy more barrels for less money from overseas. So if a weaker dollar is good for higher energy prices. So again, between a weaker dollar, if that occurs, and what's the and the, the production cut by OPEC and the potential need to refill the SPR at some point after the midterms. They're not going to do it prior to midterms, but the, you know they're trying to they're draining the SPR to try to keep oil prices down to get through midterm elections. After that, they're going to have to refill it. That's and and you're moving into a very cold part of winter. So January, February, March of next year going to be a very cold period. Lots of demand on oil. Um, so again, there is a real kind of perfect storm brewing here for higher oil prices. That should bode well for energy stocks going into the end of the year. Um, so again, you know, as we take a look at, at where to kind of look for some opportunities to invest, there may be a good setup that's coming here. Again, we've had a nice little rally in oil prices the last couple of days. Um, might get a little bit of a pullback today. Shell just reported a little bit disappointing earnings uh, this morning. We'll see how that kind of weighs on the sector. Outside of that, though, uh, the markets yesterday um, actually started out pretty weak yesterday morning. And we had two very strong days, Monday and Tuesday, 6.3% advance in two days, huge move for the markets. Markets started out pretty weak yesterday morning, opened down about 1%. 
Um, kind of a disappointing economic uh, number yesterday and, and stocks sold off um, early in the morning till about 10 a.m. and then rallied back the rest of the day. Nice green candle actually rallied right to the 20-day moving average yesterday and then backed off just a little bit at the close. So again, that first initial test right there at the 20-day moving average, this is going to be kind of a key kind of first test of this, of this rally. Markets are set to open a little bit weaker this morning again after three days of, of kind of buying. Not really surprising to see a little bit of a pullback here. Um, down about 20 points on the S&P, nothing big. And so uh, has the opportunity to turn itself around today. We'll see how we open this morning and do. Uh, the good news, uh, and we've been talking about this for a while, we actually triggered a MACD buy signal yesterday. And this is the first time that we've officially triggered that signal uh, really since the peak of the market back in August. So again, we've been on a very consistent sell signal with the MACD. The MACD very oversold here. We've talked about looking for that buy signal trigger here to, to add some exposure portfolios. We've been actually nibbling the last couple of days. But again, uh, you know, look for this uh, you know, rally to have some legs here now. If we can get through the next few days, again, it doesn't mean it's going to go straight up. But again, you're starting to get kind of the technical support that you need for higher asset prices, at least in the short term. Okay, quick break. We'll be back. Pick up with Michael Leibowitz. A lot of stuff to get into with the Fed and everything else. What's happening with money? Be right back on The Real Investment Show. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Let's go, girls. What do women want when it comes to finances? Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for a special ladies' edition lunch and learn what women need from Social Security. Thursday, October 20th at noon. Get the most out of your Social Security benefits. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our next ladies' lunch and learn. What women need from Social Security. Thursday, October 20th at noon with Ratliff and Rosso, realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. Welcome back to the show this morning. Of course, it is uh, Thursday. Michael Leibowitz joining us as he always does on Thursday to talk a little bit about, you know, Fed policy rates, what's happening. Um, and again, you know, this has been kind of a, you know, an interesting last couple of days because, you know, we talked about the, the very, you know, the very deep negative sentiment that we had in the month of September. So, you know, and it's interesting because in June of this year, Mike and I were here talking about the very same thing. We were saying, you know, we got deep negative sentiment markets, three standard deviations oversold, blah, 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 blah. And that's the perfect setup for this rally. And everybody was like, you know, the world's coming to an end, et cetera. And then we had this very nice rally in, in, in July and August. And, you know, at the, at the, during that rally, everybody was super bullish, right? It's like, oh, my, the, the bull market's back and here we go. Um, Mike was making a very clear point. He's like, hey, be careful here because the Fed hasn't pivoted, right? The whole rally in July and August was on this whole idea the Fed was going to pivot. And the Fed didn't like the fact that the market was rallying so strongly. And, you know, as we noted, um, as we approached the Jackson Hole Summit, which is the annual Fed, Federal Reserve CONFAB they have in, in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, 
uh, we noted that you know there was a, a a an article that came out that said just prior to Jerome Powell giving his prepared speech, he scrapped his speech and wrote a very short statement, and it was a very short statement for for a Jackson Hole summit. It was it was like a, the whole I think the whole statement was like eight minutes. It was very short. But basically, he smacked down the markets. He said, we're not pivoting anytime soon, and we're going to fight inflation, number one. And it took the complete market by shock, and the market sold off all through September, gave up all those gains. That whole 17% bullish advance that everybody had gotten all excited about was all gone in the month of September. So here we are again. Market's very oversold. Very deep negative sentiment. We talked about put options being at a record, the put call ratio being above one. And that's typically normally where you see kind of market bottoms, at least short term. And just within a couple of days, markets already back to, oh, the Fed's going to pivot. The Fed's going to pivot. We're back on pivot watch again with the markets. But the Fed has made no indication that they're going to pivot, cut rates, anything else at this point. Now, it doesn't mean they can't. But, you know, it's interesting, Mike, as, as you and I have been talking about the last couple of days, we're starting to see some fractures in the, in, in the credit system. And one thing you and I have talked about a lot is that inflation is a problem and the Fed is focused on inflation until financial instability becomes an issue. And we're starting to see some cracks. And we saw Bank of right. England bail out their pension fund. Uh, Bank of Japan has been intervening to try to fix their mess. And their mess is an interminable issue that's going to blow up eventually. Um, and now you've got Credit Suisse. Um, their collateral, collateralized default swaps have surged to another record overnight. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that you know Credit Suisse is about to become Lehman. Everybody learned that lesson from 2008. Nobody's going to let a bank go bankrupt again. But um, certainly some concerns. There's some financial stress showing up in the system. Um, do you think it's enough yet to cause the Fed to change their focus uh, away from inflation, or do you think they're going to stay on that track until something actually breaks? No, no, this is a great point. So if you go back about a week ago into late September, markets were tanking, yields were rising, and we had the U.K. Uh, problem. And, and in the United Kingdom, rates went up too fast and, and, and aggressively. And it basically sunk the pension funds that were using leverage. That's financial instability. The Bank of England came to the rescue. They were buying long-term bonds, and they helped they helped arrest that situation. So, so, so you kind of look at the Fed, and you know, put yourself in the in the Fed's offices, and and what do you what do you do? So, so if I'm the Fed, somehow you got to get the markets to respond positively. You, you want to keep up the fight against inflation. You want to keep up that narrative and you want to keep doing QT and everything else, but you need the markets to respond better. So somehow if you can get the markets to trade better, that means yields going down, stock prices going up, the dollar at least not being going up, you know, just flatlining, if nothing else you can solve at least temporarily put a band-aid over some of those financial instability issues and you can get back to doing what you want to do which is raising rates and doing more QT so so i think the fed will they're not going to say anything they have been still there every single fed speaker one after another is telling you what they're going to do mm -hmm. they're going to raise rates they're going to keep keep rates high they're not pivoting in 2023 is what they're saying now for them to accomplish that and for them to truly get inflation way down 
they're going to have to try to get markets to behave okay. Doesn't mean great, but okay. Because when markets start doing what they did in late September, financial instability odds rise. And you end up with a credit Swiss. You end up with some big hedge fund that you've never heard of, that Lance and I have never heard of, that all of a sudden is on the ropes and risks dragging JP Morgan down or Goldman Sachs down. Yeah, you know, and, and it's interesting because, you know, Credit Suisse has just had, uh, you know, numerous debacles. You know, they were tied into that archipelago fund that that had funded the, the ARC, you know, Kathy Wood funds. That, that hedge fund blew up. Um, it was involved in the, uh, uh, the Evergrande situation. I mean, and there was a couple of other things that, you know, kind of went belly up over the last couple of years that have been weighing on Credit Suisse and now, you know, this whole kind of credit, you know, rising interest rate market. And then that's the, and that's the real thing that, you know, people need to understand is that the risk of financial instability as the Fed hike rates, you know, increases markedly. And, and the reason is that there's so many derivatives now. Um, the, uh, somebody gave me the number the other day. It's like $360 like, trillion. It's just an, an enormous amount of, or, or like $60 trillion. It was like $30 trillion in 2008. It's like $60 trillion now. Anyway, it's an enormous amount of, of derivatives that are sitting out there. Well, these derivatives are contracts, and they have a lot of leverage to them, um, Again, certain things. It's 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 an interest rate. It's a it's a it's a you know the dollar or some currency. And there's all these derivatives that are out there. And the problem is, is all these derivatives are based on these mod these historical models that says, well, interest rates will only do this. The interest rates will only go so far uh, historically, and this is what happens when interest rates make these moves, or the dollar is only going to move this far. Whatever it is, it's all based on these historical models. And the problem with all these derivatives is when things start doing things that the models didn't predict them to do. And this is what happened during the mortgage crisis. Um, all these mortgage bonds, and Mike can explain this much better than, than I from a historical perspective because he worked for Fannie Mae. But the problem that, that caused the issue is that all these mortgages were based on these models that, that interest rates would never do X and they did why and that was the problem uh that really created a lot of the of the problem in the mortgage market back in 2008 well you know now the derivatives market is a lot larger and now we have interest rates moving up at the fastest pace on record we have the dollar surging uh against foreign currencies and and again we have inflation at levels we haven't seen in 40 years so all those factors start to feed into the potential that some of these derivative models break. And then that's where your risk of financial instability, you know, really comes into play. And, and it's not a function of, of necessarily falling stock prices. Falling stock prices are kind of the consequence of something breaking in this derivatives market or, or in this kind of in these models that everything is tied to and particularly today now more than ever because of all these algorithms and computer driven trading etc that are all functionally based on technicals um, the risk of that something breaking very quickly becomes much more elevated fair statement mike yeah and, and you know the, the derivative part is a big deal lance if you go back to 2008 the problem with subprime was not even necessarily subprime. It wasn't that big of a market. It's the derivatives. So a derivative is basically like you owning something, but you don't really own it. It would be like if Lance and I said, Lance, why don't you, we'll make a bet on IBM. 
and essentially our bet looks like the price of the stock. I, I kind of have I have exposure to IBM as you know, I'm taking out the bet and Lance has exposure to me. But when you look at the way IBM trades and its share price and everything about IBM, that's not the problem. But if IBM fails, you got all the IBM shareholders and then people like me. So when you look at the subprime market back in 08, it wasn't just the subprime holders. It was another two to three times the amount of bets on subprime that really had no subprime physically behind it. Yeah. It was just bet on the price of those subprime bonds. Well, and, and also, too, kind of really back then, too, it, was, it, was, it wasn't even that. It was also, I mean, it, it was that, right? So you, so you had the subprime, and then you had all the bets on the subprime, but then they started creating bets on top of bets of subprime, right? right? So you had derivatives right. of derivatives of derivatives of subprime. And, you know, then and, we started splitting off subprime right so you had the interest only section and you had the mortgage section and we took derivatives on those things and it was just this whole layered process but now it's worse i mean again you have twice as many derivatives out there today and you know it's an interesting it's an interesting point because this is what warren buffett alluded to i think it was back in 2006 2007 um it was before the financial crisis if i'm not mistaken but warren buffett alluded to these derivatives markets as being weapons of mass destruction, uh, you know, for the financial markets. And now it's twice as big as it was, you know, back in 2008. And, and, and again, the, the point we're trying to bring across, and, and this is the, the, the point to take away from the conversation as we wrap up this segment, is that, you know, the Fed is focused on hiking rates to combat inflation. That's their only focus right now. And as markets continue to perform okay volatility isn't spiking to any great degree it ticked up recently and a little bit in september but it's not running at 40 50 60 like it does during a financial crisis or during a recession there's not any real pressure right now on the fed to focus on other markets because they're all kind of behaving rationally the the risk of financial instability is when something breaks and when something breaks that's the point that somebody hits that big red button that says do not touch that's where they smack that button and everything kind of goes awry very quickly. So, you know, that's the that's the risk of derivatives um, in a market where you have the dollar doing stuff it doesn't normally do. Interest rates moving at a faster pace in history and, and stocks and markets in general weak. Be right back after the break with Michael Lee Don't go away. The Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. Let's go, girls. What do women want when it comes to finances? Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for a special ladies' edition lunch and learn what women need from Social Security. Thursday, October 20th at noon. Get the most out of your Social Security benefits. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our next ladies' lunch and learn. What women need from Social Security, Thursday, October 20th at noon with Ratliff and Rosso, realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. <laughs> it's 6.33. Welcome back to the show this morning. Michael Lee was joining us. Uh, that's right. Uh, Thursday, October the 20th at 12 noon uh, is our seminar coming up on what women want from Social Security. Uh, the first question is, is what do you want to eat? And that'll pretty much resolve the rest of that hour uh, for, <laughs> for the questions. <laughs> I'm just joking. Just joking. 
Uh, it's actually going to be very good because there's, uh, you know, one thing that uh, Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff do very well is Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. And, and there's a lot of decisions that husbands and wives have to make um, when it regards uh, in regards to Social Security. Particularly if one spouse is older than the other spouse, you know, when who starts taking Social Security first and when do you take it? And there's a lot of questions that resolve around that. Uh, so that's Thursday coming up, October the 20th at 12 noon. Um, it's online, so it's not an in-person event, right? It's online? Yes. It's all online, yes. So it's all online, so you can just log in, just register at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Um, if you haven't been to our building um, to come visit us, which we'd love to have you come visit us if you're ever in Houston, um, the building here that we're in does a great job of decorating for the seasons, right? Right. And so they do a great job of like, you know, Christmas, they decorate the whole building Christmas mm -hmm. Eve. Well, Halloween comes, they decorate the whole downstairs, you know, full of Halloween. So they're like spiders and witches and all kinds of stuff everywhere. Well, they take one of the elevator banks and they decorate one of the elevators. There's like eight elevators, uh, to, you know, for the for the high rides. And one of them they decorate with, you know, skeletons and all kinds of scary, spooky stuff in there. And so. My wife is funny, right? Um, she loves to decorate. She decorates for Halloween. She she decorates for Thanksgiving. She thinks Thanksgiving, you know, is a forgotten holiday. You know, everybody starts decorating for Christmas and putting up Christmas lights, you know, the day after Halloween. She decorates for Thanksgiving and then, of course, Christmas. So she's a big decorator. She hates scary stuff, though. Like, I cannot get her to go to a haunted house. That is an, I mean, she will kill herself before I let her drag, before I drag her into a, to a haunted house. It just scares the bejeebers out of her. Anyway, so they, they, they decorate this one elevator bank every year. And this is the first year that she's now, so uh, quick, quick backstory to this, is just so you know how this happened. My wife works for another company and they were across town in another high rise. And this was a little over a year or so ago. And um, she emailed me and she says, hey, my company's moving uh, to a new office building. And I said, where, where are y'all moving to? She goes, it's 11750 KD Freeway. I go, that's my <laughs> office building. I go, what floor are you on? She goes, ninth floor, which is the floor directly above the eighth floor office where we are. And not only is she directly you know, in the office above us, her office is directly over my office upstairs, right? So in the same building. Anyway, she came in yesterday, first time that she's, you know, seen this building dressed up for Halloween. <laughs> and she punches the elevator button and the elevator opens up, the one that's decorated. She gets the luck of the draw, right? <laughs> and all I get is a text message from her that says it has a picture of the elevator and it says, "Oh hell no." <laughs> 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 and so she was like reaching in she like pushed another so then she let it close and she punched the button and the same door opened again and so finally she reaches in and pushes like the top button so it'll go up and then she can get another elevator bank so this was like a five minute ordeal for her to get in the elevator we need to look at the building video of that i know oh it would be freaking hysterical anyway i'm i'm, I'm now starting to contemplate what i can do to her office so <laughs> This is giving me all kinds of good ideas. We'll probably get the guard to let you in up there. Uh, probably. <laughs> I, I, I know people yes. in this building, so I could probably get something done. Anyway, um, all right, a couple of things here as um, you know, we kind of move forward. You know, we talked about at the opening of the show, oil prices, you know, are back on the rise. And this is also another problem for the the, the kind of overall financial stability of the markets and the economy, right? Because as oil prices go up, 
That's another big draw on consumers. They have less money to spend. They're spending more money at the gas tank. And, you know, what's interesting is, is that OPEC came out uh, yesterday, cut production by 2 million barrels a day. Uh, that was twice as much as was expected. The Biden administration immediately coming out blaming them that OPEC is now, you know, joining forces with Russia to, you know, uh, ruin the world. But basically what OPEC's trying to do is keep oil prices high. If they like high oil prices, that's where they make all their money. And so oil prices have been coming down. They want to keep it elevated. So they, they cut production. Not surprising. But interesting, the problem is here in the United States, and we, we touched on this earlier, in 2021, we had about 48 days of supply in the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. So that means if there was no other oil production and we were only living out of the SPR, we could, we could fuel the entire U.S. economy for 48 days. Then, of course, what the Biden administration did to try to artificially bring down gas prices is he started tapping the SPR and taking oil out of that. We are now down to 22 days. That is the lowest level in the SPRs since 1990. So we've taken a tremendous amount of oil out of the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, and that is part of our national security, right? So the reason we have the SPR is, is because we're so energy dependent the the reason for the SPR is for national security more than anything else, right? Because if something would happen and, you know, World War broke out or et cetera, and, and we're still a net importer of oil, right? We still net import oil every year. We're, you know, we're still bringing in oil from other countries to meet our economic demand needs. And so if a war ever broke out and we could get no other imports and we were solely dependent on U.S. production, that SPR there is to is to help keep us together until we can resolve other issues. But now from 48 days, now down to 22 days, it's, it's becoming a, a problem. Uh, the Biden administration has, is going to pull another 10 million barrels out of the SPR uh, over this month. And this is, as we head into the midterm elections, trying to keep oil prices down. And, and you know, there's a function that that is suppressing oil prices a little bit, maybe, um, a lot of it had to do with the dollar. A lot of it had to do with other things. You know, the big problem is, is that drawing from the SPR is fine. But as I said at the open, we eventually have to refill that, which is going to make a bigger demand on what oil production we have. And we've already cut oil production here in the U.S. by a significant degree because of restrictions on leases, et cetera, a lot of red tape. Um, and really just this whole idea that oil companies are evil and we want them all out of business is this has been the attitude of government. So there's not a whole lot of incentive for oil companies to go drill and invest that capital, build plants, refining plants, et cetera. It's, it's too much capital. It's capital intensive. It takes years to get your repayment back on. And if you don't know what the environment's going to be or how, how you know, aggressive the environment's going to be, there's no incentive to go take those risks. So we have a, a, we have a production problem. We have rising cost. We're about to go into winter. Now OPEC's cut production. And at some point, you have no choice but to refill those SPRs. And, I, and as I said earlier, I think there's a really good kind of perfect storm brewing here. And this goes particularly to the case if the Fed uh, and, or the Treasury start to intervene to bring the dollar down, that we could see a, a fairly substantial spike in oil prices. And Mike, who lives up in the Northeast, um, can tell you it gets really cold up in the Northeast in winter, which you know brings up demand for heating oil, et cetera. Mike, your thoughts? 
Well, you've been teasing me on Twitter all morning. <laughs> so, so I'm glad you finally give me the microphone to talk. Here. <laughs> um, no, I, you know what? What's funny, what's so ironic about all of this is that if, if your goal was really green minded and you wanted to incentivize alternative forms of energy, you would want the price of oil to go up. Mm-hmm. Right. A lot more people are buying electric cars today when oil was at four to five dollars a gallon because it's pretty easy for a consumer to see the benefit of just plugging in. Now, I know just plugging in has a cost that you don't really see. It's not like the gas pump. But if your goal was to was purely to promote alternative energy, you want higher gas prices. It makes everything else more economically viable. But of course, we have an election coming up and the part, you know, as politicians always do from both sides of the aisle, they're going to do whatever it takes to win that election. But unfortunately, like you said, Lance, our supply of oil in case of an emergency is down to a few weeks and still dropping. Um, so so this is a potential problem. And at some point it, it can only drop so much and then they're going to refill it. And so what's going to happen is the United States is going to provide a bid to the market, mm-hmm. which is a whole other problem that you know we're going to be dealing with i assume next year right and that's an, and that's going to be one of the uh, it's going to be one of the, the interesting issues about all this and is you know when they have to start refilling the the spr that's another drain on on supply and again there's no incentive here at this point you know to invest capital to go drill a lot more wells and what oil companies need is they need higher oil prices to justify the risk of potential you know regulatory changes etc there's been a very aggressive stance towards oil companies by by government over the last couple of years and and again you would suspect with oil prices near you know a hundred dollars a barrel previously that the number of wells being brought online offshore drilling etc would be just you know going through the roof and yes, while we did have an increase in production and the number of wells being brought on, you didn't see the type of acceleration in that well development that and increases in production that you would have expected from, you know, over $100 barrel in prices. And a lot of that has to do with the political climate and the regulatory climate. Um, you know, but it's a problem. And again, as you know, if we have this kind of perfect storm for energy prices that drives oil prices higher going into next year, that's another impact on economic demand as we move into an environment where the risk of recession is rising sharply. And we're going to talk about that right after the break. Don't go away. daily investment news you can use delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com let's go girls what do women want when it comes to finances join richard rosso and danny ratliff for a special ladies edition lunch and learn what women need from social security thursday october 20th at noon get the most out of your social security benefits register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our next ladies lunch and learn what women need from social security thursday October 20th at noon with Ratliff and Rosso, realinvestmentadvice.com. 
The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Michael Leibowitz joining me as well. And again, so, you know, financial stress, higher interest rates, uh, higher oil prices, all of this has an impact on ultimately the consumer, right? Families um, trying to make ends meet. You know, wage increases have been going up, but not nearly enough to keep up with the, with the pace of inflation in the economy. And, you know, as the Fed continues their fight on inflation at this moment, at least for now, and until the risk of financial stability becomes a bigger issue, the increases in interest rates and the increases in, you know, the operation of how money moves through the economy is becoming more problematic. And, and the risk of recession is rising. Uh, yield curves have been inverted now for quite some time. And again, it's not yield curve inversions that are recessionary. It's when they uninvert that tell you that the recession has has impacted the economy, and we're not there yet. But there's a, there's a lot of of you know risk now that are building in the system, and uh, and interestingly enough, this will be the most well forecasted recession ever in history. <laughs> so, um, so there's a risk that maybe there will be no recession. I don't know how you avoid it at this point, given what's going on. Um, maybe the Fed does engineer a soft landing for the first time ever in history, but it's hard to see that from a standpoint of the sharp increase in rates that haven't even impacted the economy yet. And, we, and Mike and I have talked about this previously is the delay in monetary policy impacts on the economy. But Mike, the, you know, the risk of recession certainly seems to be on the horizon. Um, during a recession, earnings are going to fall as you know, and, and then of course the market's going to have to adjust for lower prices. But when you have a recession, earnings fall because consumption falls, and you know, and, and consumers contract. But it's interesting because there was an article out uh, earlier this week talking about a large number of Americans now are suffering from recession fatigue. But we're not in a recession yet, not at least officially. But it's interesting <laughs> that that consumers are are feel like they're in a recession. Nonetheless, typically, you know, for the last 20, 30, almost 40 years, we've had very low inflation. So you could look at real GDP or, or nominal GDP, which doesn't strip out inflation. And when we we're growing, we we're growing and shrinking, shrinking. But inflation is so high today at eight, nine percent. And everyone has their own inflation index. So my inflation may be 12 percent. So everyone almost has their own economy. For some, they are in recessions because the inflation is much more than what CPI is telling us. For others, it may be okay. So it's very murky because of inflation, whereas it was much more straightforward before. So will we have a recession? I don't know. We have inflation running at eight or nine percent, which is even if you have zero percent growth, but eight percent inflation, GDP is going to grow eight percent nominal GDP. So, you know, say you have a recession of minus 3%, but 8% growth, it, there's still growth out there. And I think that's what is making this so difficult because it feels like a recession in some respects, but not on the jobs front. And we're going to learn about the jobs report tomorrow. But so far, most jobs reports have, have remained very strong. 
And I think until the jobs numbers, the unemployment numbers start rising and rising decently, because we're sitting near 50 year lows in the unemployment rate, it's not going to really feel like a recession to most people. It's not necessarily when someone gets laid off, but when someone they know gets laid off or people you know that they associate with uh, get fired, that it starts to feel more like a recession. And when that happens, people will pull back further because they're scared that they're going to be fired or that they're going to get hours cut or they're going to get salary even cut, which is a far cry from where we were a year ago when that you couldn't pay people enough or find anyone to work. But the pendulum is changing and the Fed and the Fed tells us this. The Fed's goal is to raise the unemployment rate. I know it sounds ugly, especially for someone in Washington to say they want more people laid off. But that is what the Fed feels that they need to do to generate a, you know, to, to basically kill inflation. So that's the path we're on. And when we when we kind of bring this back to investing, you have to think that's what the Fed's goal is. The Fed's goal is a recession. The Fed's goal is higher unemployment. And, you know, we can think about all the things that get in the way of the Fed's goal, but they are very resolute about what they want and how they're going to get it. And that's why, you know, we're always talking about the Fed, unemployment, all these things that have nothing to do with the stock price of Apple or Microsoft. Well, they do because it's the economy that they're driving. And right now they are really trying to drive it into the ground, not a depression. They want a recession. They want higher unemployment and that will kill inflation. And that's what they feel they need to do. So just keep that always in the back of your mind until something changes that that's the path we're on that the Fed is leading us down. Yeah. And again, you know, and again, you know, that's, you know, how do you, you know, again, it goes back to the basic question, which is, you know, how do you get inflation down? And that's to cause, you know, an economic slowdown. And uh, unfortunately, you know, the risk that we've talked about is they overshoot with their Fed tightening, right? So they keep hiking rates, hiking rates, hiking rates, it slows down the economy. But as the economy slows down, and, and as we've talked about, you know, previously on the show, you know, the economy starting to have this soft landing, and it's like, okay, let's stop raising rates. You know, we're in the perfect spot, you know, for this landing. Well, the problem is, is there's six more rate hikes that you've already done that are still coming, and this is right. why, you know, the the they always kind of overshoot. And you know, this, you know, we talked about this previously. What the Fed should have done in 2021 is when all this liquidity was coming into the system from QE, they should have been hiking rates back then, allowed QE to help support the markets, hike rates, slow down the economy a bit, kind of start to cool it off a bit, knowing that all this monetary intervention from the from the fiscal government that was sent to households was going to cause inflation. You know, they didn't they they were too short sighted to see that impact and they stopped you know, QE way too late. They stopped zero interest rates way too late. Now they're behind the curve trying to play catch up. And it's most likely they're going to overshoot on the other side, keep rates too high for too long. And it leads to another problem. And that's and that's this kind of boom bust cycle is what the Fed's been famous for over the last 40 years. And I, I don't really see it coming out different this time. Right. But but I think they recognize things a little differently, probably because of inflation. And it's almost, you know, this is the first time I've ever heard the Fed tell you they want to break something. They're, they're basically telling us. They, they use much kinder words <laughs> than, than I use. But that is what the Fed is telling us, that they want to break something, that that is how they're going to kill inflation. 
And it's a very different Fed than the one that has pretty much been in power our whole career. And is this is this the real Fed that we're seeing or is it a Halloween mask? And will they yank I, yeah. that mask off the first sign of financial instability? You know, I, I, I have a I have, you know, here's the problem is that, you know, Jerome Powell, when he was first elected, he was supposed to be different than any other Fed governor. Right. Here was a guy that's supposed to be focused on just the fundamentals and not political, became a political animal very quickly. Now he's hiking rates. and Everybody's now saying, oh, he's different again. He's back to his old self. And. You know, look, at the end of the day, he's, you know, what's going on right now with what they're doing is they've got to get inflation down. We've got it. And, and there is surely political pressure on the Fed right now to get inflation down heading into midterm elections. Uh, no policymaker survives high inflation if you're the party in power to blame. And right now, the Democrats, unfortunately, are in power to blame. And it's going to be very tough. Uh, inflation is going to be a very big component of voter decisions. Voters don't vote really that much on political issues. They don't even understand most political issues or know about them. What they do understand very clearly is what they can afford to pay for. And it, there's no saying that voters vote by their pocketbook and inflation is a big problem. So the question is, is, you know, is the Fed really playing an economic game or are they playing a political game? And to your point, are they really different? Or is this, again, just a kind of Halloween mask and after midterms, you know, the Fed goes right back and reverts back to, you know, getting markets back on stable ground, et cetera, uh, determining if, if, you know, the election comes out the way everybody wants. Right. Right. And we may see stocks, you know, stocks and bonds on stable ground for the next month as, you know, it'll just help relieve some of the effects of what the Fed is doing. And, you know, why that happens, you know, we can theorize all day about what the Fed does and doesn't do. But they do intervene in markets. We know that. Do they intervene in stock markets? There's absolutely no proof. Do I think they do? I don't know. I wouldn't put anything past them. But in order to get away with this really hawkish policy, it would behoove them politically to at least engineer a stable to bullish market for the next few weeks to get past the election, at which point, you know, all bets are off. And some of that depends on who wins the election and how much power the Democrats have at that point. Right. Um, so today, futures are down just a little bit. Again, uh, Dow's down about 155 points this morning at the open. Yesterday, we saw the same kind of week opening. Markets rallied back in the afternoon. We'll see uh, again what kind of happens today. But again, a little bit of weakness here after a 6% advance. Certainly not surprising. Uh, again, a lot of trap longs here just kind of needing to exit uh, out of the markets um, but again, you know, with MACD signals now back on a buy signal, there certainly seems to be, and, and market's still not overbought yet, certainly seems like there's a little bit more upside to this rally. But again, use this rally to sell into, raise some cash, uh, rebalance risk. And, and as Mike was just saying, as we move into next year, the risk of something breaking does increase, uh, which would translate into lower asset prices at some point. So we're likely not through this bear market just yet. So anyway, get by the website. Our latest blog posts are up, along with Michael's latest articles on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. Check out simplevisor.com as well. That's our research platform. Uh, follow all of our portfolios and more. And of course, our daily commentary will be out here in just a few minutes. So make sure you're signed up at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com.
Hey, Brett. You think it was the internet? Okay, I'm at home today, not the office. Yeah, I mean, I, I was missing about a minute or about 10 seconds out of every minute Lance was barking. I was having trouble following and responding. Well, I'll just go, I'll try to do it in the office. I just had a bunch of technical difficulties in the house with the dog today. So in general, I'll try, unless it's like pouring rain or something, I'll just try to do it at the office. At home, Verizon. But, um, well, that's my, Well, that's my other option is to just lay a cable down here somehow. Um, yeah, I think I have it. I think it has one of those telephone looking things. The telephone jack. Yeah, that may do it. I mean. My goal is to do it at the office anyway. So, and we, this is the first time we've really had this issue. On my side. No, it's. But I freeze up, but my image is freezing up when I'm at the office too. Like when you watch the videos, when you watch the podcast. Um, no, but that's business. But I don't freeze up on Zoom or any of those things. Thank God. Tell that to my wife. Okay, Lance, I'll see you in 10 minutes, 20, uh, 30 minutes. Okay.
Okay. OPEC, <clears throat> OPEC cuts production by 2 million barrels a day as Biden goes all in on SPR reserves. That's coming up on three minutes on markets and money. Let me do that again because I didn't really clarify that. OPEC cuts production by 2 million. <clears throat> OPEC cuts production by 2 million barrels per day as Biden administration goes all in on SPR withdrawals. What does that mean for oil prices heading into year end? That's coming up on three minutes on markets and money. Yesterday, OPEC announced a 2 million barrel per day cut in oil production. Now, that was only expected to be a million barrels a day. This has obviously infuriated the Biden administration, who now claims that OPEC is all in with Russia. What this does mean is that there's going to be less production of oil as demand increases heading into winter. That suggests higher oil prices. Importantly, though, the Biden administration has now come out and said they're going to withdraw. <clears throat> Importantly, though, the Biden administration came out and said they're going to extract another 10 million barrels from the SPR. Now, the SPR reserves have already fallen from 48 days in 2021 of supply down to just 22 days of supply. That's the lowest level on record since 1990. Why is that important? Because at some point here very soon, as the SPR is a national security issue, right? So in the event, the reason we have the SPRs is that in the event that we're cut off from importing oil everywhere in the world, say a, a world war breaks out, right? And we can't import oil. That gives the U.S., well, did give the U.S. 48 days of supply uh, to fuel the needs of the U.S. economy while we figure out an alternative. We're now down to 22, so that doesn't give us much buffer to get oil companies out to drill wells, et cetera. And, of course, this has been one of the problems. The aggressive posture of the current administration against oil and gas companies is limiting their ability to get <clears throat> is limiting their ability to get oil leases or even the incentive to go out and drill a lot of wells because of not knowing what the environment's gonna be politically over the course of the next couple of years. There's not a clear path of investing capital uh, and CapEx into oil and gas drilling because of the current aggressive nature of the administration against the oil companies. So this is all limiting supply. We're now back to importing oil into the U.S. This all suggests with the production cut, and the reason I tell you this is that as we move into the winter time that's going to lead to a bigger demand in oil prices for heating oil etc uh, that suggests that we're going to see petroleum prices starting to rise and we've already seen this we talked about the fact that west texas intermediate crude was very oversold here just a week or so ago that has led to this reflexive rally we had laid out a target of about 90 91 dollars a barrel that is still well within our target range right now for that rally that was one of the reasons we increased our oil and gas energy stock exposure um, this is back uh, <clears throat> with oil prices now back on a buy signal we're likely going to see a little bit more move higher here but in the short term oil prices have gotten back to <clears throat> but in the short term oil prices are back to overbought conditions so a little bit of a pullback here wouldn't be surprising, but that'll be a good opportunity to increase some energy exposure in portfolios because likely as we move into the latter part of this year, we're going to wind up seeing higher energy prices. Now, of course, that's going to weigh on consumption. And next year with higher in, um, and next year with the Fed hiking interest rates aggressively, 
higher energy prices. Of course, that's going to impact demand and the risk of a recession next year is going to create a very poor environment potentially for the economy between this. Now, normally recessions bring down demand that could bring down oil prices. But the problem, as I said earlier, is with the cuts in production and then having to refill the strategic petroleum reserves that could act as an opportunity to help give support to higher oil prices for longer, but that's going to further impede economic growth. That's going to potentially weigh on both earnings as well as the markets later next year. So again, a lot of impacts coming from what's happening with energy prices. So keep a watch on this. We'll watch it for you right here on 3 Minutes on Markets and Money.